0: I would ask that in your homes or wherever you might be, that you would turn in your Bibles to Hosea chapter 9, Hosea chapter 9. I have to admit to you that as I attempted to plan and prepare this sermon this week, I've struggled a great deal over what to do with this. Given the nature of this text, which you'll see in just a moment, um, I thought it might be best to set aside my normal course of, of exposition uh, to, to delay preaching Hosea chapter 9 and, and go to some other perhaps more hopeful passage of scripture in the Bible. Uh, those of you that know me know that I'm committed to uh, just preaching chapter by chapter, verse by verse throughout a book of the Bible, and uh, I don't lightly... Set that aside, but when I came to this text this week and given just the the context of what's going on in our society, I wondered if if it might not be best to do that just this week. Um, As we read through this, what you're going to see is is a text in which God says that he hates his people. Uh, A text in which uh, the prophet prays for miscarriages and promises that children will die. Now, you can see my dilemma here. How on earth could such a text be helpful at a time like we're experiencing right now? There are so many other passages of hope and comfort that we could go to in the Bible that would be very pertinent to our current situation. However, the more I thought about it and the more I I mulled this text over, the more I realized that Hosea chapter 9 does have something to say to us in the midst of a global pandemic. God is sovereign. He knew that I would be in Hosea chapter 9 long before I ever picked up the book of Hosea to begin preaching it. And all of God's Word, even the parts that make us uncomfortable, are divinely inspired. They're there for a reason. They reveal something to us about the nature of God so that in that truth we find hope and comfort even in a time of chaos and turmoil. In fact, I think there's no better hope and comfort to find than in the truths that's revealed to us here because ultimately, as we're going to see in this text, what this text does is it points out and it reveals the cost of our sin. And if we're going to talk about the cost of our sin, we have to understand how that cost is paid for. There's no greater hope that Christianity has to offer. Other than the hope of how our sin is paid for. And so I could not think of any better words to comfort you with this morning. It's, it's going to be painful to start out with. Because we're going to have to look and see what our sin actually costs. How, how heinous and vile and wretched our sin actually is. And that's going to make us feel bad. But so be it. Because when we understand how much our sin costs then we can understand how much God loves us in paying for that sin. How much God loves us in holding back his wrath and giving us mercy and grace instead. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Again, I can think of no greater hope and comfort to you in this time. And so this morning I would ask that if you're in your homes, wherever you're at, uh, as is my custom, I, I would ask that you stand with me in honor of the reading of the word of God. Hosea chapter 9. There we read, Rejoice not, O Israel. Exult not like the peoples. For you have played the whore, forsaking your God. You have loved a prostitute's wages on all the threshing floors. Threshing floor and wine vats shall not feed them. And the new wine shall fail them. They shall not remain in the land of the Lord. But Ephraim shall return to Egypt. They shall eat unclean food in Assyria. They shall not pour drink offerings of wine to the Lord, and their sacrifices shall not please him. It shall be like mourner's bread to them. All who eat of it shall be defiled, for their bread shall be for their hunger only. It shall not come to the house of the Lord. What will you do on the day of the appointed festival and on the day of the feast of the Lord? For behold, they are going away from destruction, but Egypt shall gather them, Memphis shall bury them. Nettles shall possess their precious things of silver. Thorns shall be in their tents. The days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The man of the spirit is mad. Because of your great iniquity and great hatred. The the prophet is the watchman of Ephraim with my God. Yet a fowler's snare is on all his ways. And hatred in the house of God. They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit of the fig tree in its first season, I saw your fathers. But they came to Baal Peor and consecrated themselves to things of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. Ephraim's glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they bring up children, I will bereave them till none is left. Woe to them when I depart from them. Ephraim, as I have seen, was like a young palm planted in a meadow. But Ephraim must lead his children out to slaughter. Give them, O Lord. What will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. Every evil of theirs is in Gilgal. There I began to hate them because of the wickedness of their deeds. I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebels. Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Even though they give birth, I will put their beloved children to death. My God will reject them because they have not listened to him. They shall be wanderers among the nations. may be seated. And let's pray together. God, we come before you humbly this morning, acknowledging that we rarely count the cost of our sin. We rarely recognize the depth of our depravity. And when we come to passages like this that show us just how consequential our sin really is, we often blush and turn away. We don't want to see it. It makes us uncomfortable. I don't even want to preach this this morning, Lord. But yet this is your word. And it shows us who you are. And it shows us who we are. And yet wonder of wonders. You still love us. Lord, as we try to grapple with these truths this morning, help us to set our minds and our hearts on you. Help us to cease from worrying for just a moment about all the things going on outside of us. And help us to turn our attention to your word what it says about us, and how you have paid the cost for our sin. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What Hosea is doing in the text that we have just read, he's forcing the people to count the cost of their sin. In two main sections, which this chapter roughly divides into, verses 1 through 9 and then 10 through 17, he lays out precisely what the The people's sin have cost them and what it will continue to cost them. And the price is far more than they could have imagined. The cost of their sin, according to Hosea, is twofold. First, their sin will cost them their harvest. It will cost them their their food, their produce. And second, their sin will cost them the very lives of their children. In verses 1 through 9, Hosea tells them that their sin has resulted in a failed harvest. Because they have forsaken their God, their threshing floor will be empty, as will be their wine vat. The bread that they do manage together will be defiled. He tells them that it will be like mourner's bread. When you have someone in your family die in Israel and you have to prepare that body for burial and then go and take that body to bury that person, you become ceremonially unclean. So that everything you touch then becomes unclean. Well, the problem is you still have to eat. And so the bread that you would make would become unclean. It would be unfit to bring as a offering and a sacrifice before the Lord. You couldn't come before the Lord with a sacrifice of bread as a mourner. And so Hosea is telling them your bread is defiled. You're not going to be able to come and worship God because you are so defiled. You are so corrupted to the very core that anything you touch Anything you touch becomes unclean. It's unfit to bring as an offering to the Lord. Furthermore, the people would undergo a reversal of the exodus. Egypt, he says, would gather them back. And there they would be buried. Now this is likely a reference to Jacob and Joseph's refusal to be buried in Egypt. The patriarchs did not want to be buried. They didn't want their bones to rest in the land of Egypt. Of Egypt. And so what did they do? They made their children swear that they would carry their bodies out of Egypt and bury them in the promised land when they went there. But here he tells them they're going to be buried in the land. Their bodies will not leave Egypt. We've also read that or we also know that when Israel did leave Egypt, they plundered the Egyptians. The Egyptians gave them their precious things of silver and gold. But here He says that nature will reclaim them. Nettles shall possess your precious things of silver. Thorns will be in your tents. Again, a reference to the Exodus when they lived in tents instead of houses. Everything that the Exodus had profited them was going to be undone as a result of their sin. Now, to understand what a big deal this was, you have to understand that the Exodus was the defining event in Jewish history. It was the basis of many of the Psalms. It was the basis, actually, of the Ten Commandments. It was the basis of their festivals, especially the Passover. And even the weekly Sabbath, they were all prefaced on the Exodus. Listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is the preface to the Ten Commandments. As Moses is Recounting it, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So, so the Ten Commandments begins by reminding them you have to keep these because of the Exodus. Later on, he says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The Ten Commandments, the Sabbath, all of these fundamental identifiers of the nation of Israel were all prefaced on the Exodus. And here, Hosea says, we're undoing that. It was the fundamental event that defined the history and identity of Israel as God's people. And now, because of their sin, God says, we are going to undo all of that. You are going to go back into exile." Your crops will fail. There will be no food. Your precious things, gold and silver, will be stripped away from you. And you are going back into captivity. Why such a high cost? Why was their their sin worthy of such a severe punishment? Well, Hosea tells us in chapter 9 that their sin is now equal to the sin (coughs) in the days of Gibeah. Now, that name may not ring a lot of bells for you, but uh, if you're not familiar with this reference, Gibeah was the location of the story that takes place in Judges chapter 19, one of the most heinous events in all of Scripture, one of the, the, the worst events recorded in the entire history of Israel, where a Levite's concubine was violated by all the men of the city until she died. And then the Levite took her and dissected her and dismembered her and sent her body parts throughout all of Israel. It's gut-wrenching to read, but Hosea is pointing his finger at Israel and saying, Your sin is that bad. That's what your sin is like. But the failed harvest, the undone exodus, isn't the only cost of sin. In the second section, Hosea explains that their sin will also cost them their children. Now, there's a lot in these verses, and frankly, this is why I had such a hard time determining whether or not to even preach this text this morning. That This seems harsh. It seems unloving. It seems unfair. Is this the image of God that people need during this time of anxiousness in our own society? And while I confess that this is unsettling, the answer to that question is Yes. This is exactly what we need right now. You see, the comfort of Scripture is not comfortable unless we know what we are being comforted from. This text tells us. This text helps us understand why when we're told that Christ took our sin upon himself, this text helps us understand why that should be comforting to us. As we walk through this, Hosea just tells us that when God first chose Israel, they were like grapes in a desert. Imagine being stranded in a desert and finding a cluster of grapes. It would be a treasure. And that's what Israel was like. They were choice fruit. They were lovely. Yet they have become detestable by participating in all the pagan practices of Baal worshipers. Baal was thought to be the god of fertility which resulted in, of course, children, but also good crops. Therefore, the great irony here in this text is that by worshiping Baal, hoping to get crops and children, the people would get neither. They they were going to an idol seeking specific things, seeking a good harvest and and seeking multiple children. (coughs) And yet God says, I'm going to strip both of those things away. The things that you thought this idol would provide, you're not going to get. At the end of this chapter, we find some of the harshest words anywhere directed in Scripture at God's people. He tells them that he began to hate them in Gilgal. Gilgal was the seat of all these sins. It was where uh it, it's where the people practiced all of this wickedness and idolatry and, and And false worship. And so, thank you. um, He he, he tells them that he will love them no longer because of the sins that they commit there in Gilgal. He will prevent them from having children. He says, and he will even put their beloved children to death. Furthermore, we see here in the second chapter that the theme of exile is repeated. They're going to be exiled into a foreign land. And so the second half of this chapter is is symmetrical to the first. Gilgal echoes Gibeah. Exile echoes the Exodus. And the failed childbirth and dry breasts echoes the failed harvest and dry wine vats. Their sin was going to cost them more than they could ever have imagined. But the interesting thing is the people should not have been surprised about this. You see, God had told them from the very beginning... What their sin would cost them. The cost of sin is known. The cost of sin is known. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 28 with me. Now we're not going to read this entire chapter. But I would encourage you to do so. Do so on your own time. But but what we find here is the curses leveled against God's people when they turn away from him. This is God describing to his people the cost of sin. He's telling them what's going to happen when they turn away from following him and start pursuing idols. And what we find in Hosea chapter 9 is all of the curses of Deuteronomy 28 coming true. Listen to just a few of these warnings and see if they don't fit the pattern of Hosea 9. Deuteronomy 28, skip down to verse 15. Says, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed you shall be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Notice the two categories, the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your womb. Your harvest and your children. These things are the cost of sin. This is what I will take from you. This is what I will curse. If you cease from following me. Skip on down to verse 38. It says, You shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather in little. For the locusts shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them. But you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes. For the worms shall eat them. Your harvest. Skip on down to verse 53. This is... This is one of the most unsettling texts in all of Scripture. Deuteronomy 28, verse 53, it says, And you shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you, in the siege and in the distress with which your enemies shall distress you. The man who is the most tender and refined among you will begrudge food to his brother, to the wife he embraces, and to the last of his children whom he has left. So that he will not give to any of them any of the flesh of his children whom he is eating. Because he has nothing else left in the siege and in the distress with which your enemy shall distress you in all your towns. Verse 63. As the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you. So the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. And you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Verse 68. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promised you should never make again. So the cost of sin that was announced by Hosea to the people should not have been a surprise. They have known it since the beginning, since before they ever entered into the promised land. Their sin, their rebellion against God would cost them everything. But this warning doesn't just go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28. It wasn't as though that this was even the first time God's people had heard such a warning. Warning. Where was the first such warning to God's people? In the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. You see, the cost of sin has always been death. It's always been death. The sin of Adam and Eve not only cost them their lives... But what else did it cost them? It cost them the life of their son, Abel. Deuteronomy chapter 28 is nothing more than a prolonged exposition of Genesis 2.17. This is the cost of sin. This is what death looks like when a people become infected with sin. Hosea 9 is what death looks like when a people become infected with sin. They have eaten of it and they will surely die. The cost has been made known since the beginning and still it grieves us. It's hard to imagine that as a result of sin, God would claim the lives of people's children. The children, he says, whom they love in Hosea chapter nine, verse 16. Just this week, we've had uh, the flu in our house. At least three of our children have have kind of gone through sickness to varying degrees. And one night as I I looked in on my children as they were sleeping, this text was at the fore of my mind as I prayed even that night, Oh God, please don't take my children. Heal them. Let them recover. And I began to realize as I thought about this text, even as I was praying that, That's not what my sin deserves. I can't go to God on the basis of my merit and say, God, you ought to make my children recover because I serve you so well. God, because of my righteousness, you ought to heal my children. I don't deserve that. The fact that God preserves our lives, the fact that God preserves the lives of our children is a new mercy every day. This text that I agonized over whether I ought to preach this morning, you see, it's not just a study in the sin of Israel. It's not just an academic study of the wrath of God. It's a reminder of the cost of sin, my sin. In many ways, Deuteronomy 28, Hosea 9, they are shocking and appalling. They ought to shock and appall us. And yet we try to usher these things out of our mind when we read them. We want to run to the more safe ground of the Bible during times like this. We want to look for encouragement and hope. But I believe that we need to see this, that we need to hear this warning for us. Yes, this is shocking and appalling stuff, but only because our sin is shocking and appalling. This is what our sin has bought. Hosea isn't trying to show the people what a vindictive God they serve. He's showing them how wretched their sin is. And our first instinct, my first instinct, is to try to take this and to soften the blow a little bit. To try to take away the sting. But the sting of this text is exactly the point. This text is supposed to sting so we can reckon the full and total cost of our sin. We need to look at these texts and think, my sin is awful. My sin makes me worthy of all the curses of Deuteronomy 28, Hosea 9, and Genesis 2.17. So where's the hope here? Where's the hope? In a day when we're forced to our homes, where we don't know if we're going to be able to, to get the groceries we need, When we don't know when we'll be able to go back to work. When we don't know if our retirement account is going to be completely eradicated. Where is the hope in the midst of plagues and death for us this morning? Well, the hope is found in this final point. That although the cost of sin is great, it has already been paid. Our sin is horrific. That's what these passages are showing us. The high cost and the consequences of our sin are meant to show us how terrible it really is. But the good news here, the wonderful news, is that it is not a cost that we are left to pay on our own. Our God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Genesis 2.17 The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. When we were dead, under the curse, guilty as charged, what has God done? He's made us alive together with Christ. He has removed the curse from us by placing the curse on Christ. The wages of sin is death. It has always been death. Sin costs the life of the child of Adam and Eve. It cost the lives of the firstborns of the Egyptians. And it would have cost the lives of the firstborns of the Jews too had they not rubbed the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. Had God not in his mercy passed over them. You see they were liable to destruction just the same as the Egyptians. But they made an atonement and God passed over them. Even afterward God tells them that your children, your firstborns are mine. You have to redeem them by sacrifice. Sin costs the life of David's son. It costs the lives of the children of the people of Israel. But in Jesus Christ, look what God does. God says, I will no longer demand the cost of sin from other people's children, I will no longer demand the cost of sin. From your sons and daughters. Instead I will send my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. And I will exact this heavy price. From him. Though I am just in doing so. Though though your sin is so wretched. I could exact any cost that I wanted. Because your sin is so vile. You deserve every punishment. Every curse I could pour out on you. I will pour out those curses on my son. He will pay it. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. We might read that he made him who knew no sin become the curses of Deuteronomy 28 for us. He made him who knew no sin become the curses of Hosea 9 for us. He made him who knew no sin to become Genesis 2.17 for us. The day you eat of it. You will surely die so that we might become the righteousness of God. As Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason he cried that out was because he was experiencing the weight of all the wrath we deserved. He was experiencing Deuteronomy 28. All those wretched things that we just read. He was experiencing the weight of that. He was experiencing Hosea chapter 9. On his shoulders as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did so. So that his people, so that we who trust in him could be forgiven. Folks, this is good news for all people for all time. Whether in quarantine or in person. Whether in health or in sickness. Whether in plenty or in want. We all need to hear this good news. Because this is the only hope that we share. We sang earlier, hallelujah, what a savior. Bearing sin. What a savior indeed. I can't stand here and promise you that our circumstances are going to get better. We hope and pray that they do. We don't know financially how things are going to shake out. We don't know health-wise who's going to get sick and who will not. We can't point you to any outside hope other than Jesus Christ slain for our sins. And if we have that hope, everything else becomes to get small. Are there real threats out there? Absolutely. Do we need to take them very seriously? Absolutely. Do we need to be extra cautious in this time? Absolutely. But we do all of those things, all of those things, looking to the hope that we have first and foremost in Jesus Christ. Without that foundation, everything else becomes null and void. The message of Hosea chapter 9 then isn't, don't be like these people. The message of Hosea 9 is, you are already like these people. Pestilence, famine, plague, and death, it's nothing short of what we deserve. The coronavirus is just the latest reminder of Genesis 2.17. You shall surely die. It's a reminder of the high consequences, the high cost of sin. But even in this time of groaning and suffering under that weight, which the whole world groans and suffers under waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, we can remember that God took these curses that we had earned, that we had bought by our sin and rebellion against him. And he laid them on Jesus so that by his stripes, we might be healed. We need Hosea 9 because we need to see the ugliness of our sin. We need to feel its horror in our bones. So that we might be able to rejoice at the mercy of God. In paying the cost that we could not pay. If you don't know what it's like to have that debt paid. Then I urge you. Call us up here at the church. Come in, talk to us at the office. Email us. Comment on Facebook. Reach out to us and let us know that you feel the weight. You feel the cost of your own sin. And you want to know what it's like to be forgiven in Christ Jesus. Your sin is costly. But in Jesus alone, you can know forgiveness. You can know freedom in having that debt forever paid. Let's pray. God, this morning we... Again, come before you humble, acknowledging, Lord, that this is an unprecedented time that we don't have all the answers for. Lord, in many ways, we are groping around in the dark, taking each day step by step, not knowing what tomorrow might bring. Hoping that we remain healthy, that we remain strong, hoping that all those that we love remain healthy and strong. Lord, you have given us a hope beyond remaining healthy. You've given us a hope beyond having our stock portfolios remain intact. You've given us a hope beyond having a job to go to tomorrow. And that hope is in Jesus Christ paying the debt of our sin. Lord, when we see how weighty the debt of our sin really is, then we know that it is far surpassing in all importance to anything else that we might worry about. So Lord, help us to make sure first and foremost that that sin is dealt with, that that cost has been paid in the blood of Jesus Christ by us placing our faith and trust in him alone. As we read to open this service, let us all wait for and hope in the Lord to the praise of his great name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.